Good morning and welcome to our service this morning, whether you be at home, sitting around the table or on a nice chair with a cup of coffee, or whether you be amongst the 20 plus of us here this morning in a not too cold church. We're pleased this morning to welcome the Reverend Wendy Tucker, our own minister, and a reminder for those of you booking for next week that next week is our own lay preacher, David Cracknell, will be leading our service. Shall we have a few moments silence as we prepare ourselves for worship? Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be here with you, whether you are at home, whether you are here in this building. It's good to be together to worship God. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Lord, this feels ordinary every day in some ways now. Sitting at home and watching on my computer, sitting in church with my mask on. It's become what I do for now, and I am grateful for the opportunity to worship. I offer you this time and this space, all that I am and all that I have in worship to you. May it be an offering pleasing to you. May it fill my life with your presence and my heart and soul with joy. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we rejoice that your purpose for us is life, casting light into our darkness, bringing order from our chaos breathing life into barren souls. God of life, we adore you. Compassionate God, we rejoice that your offer to us is new life, calling us to confession, holding out forgiveness, freeing us from guilt. God of new life, we adore you. Inspiring God, we rejoice that your promise to us is full life, giving purpose to our days, bearing fruits from spirit gifts, guiding us to live love's truth. God of full life, we adore you. We confess before you, O God, that we are not always good examples of what it is to be a Christian. We do not feel worthy that others should follow us. And yet, Lord, you encourage us to share your love and reveal your truth and lead others to you. We confess that we fail and we are sorry. We confess our inadequacies and carelessness in standing up for what is right against what is wrong. Forgive us, Lord, and guide us in the ways of truth and justice. We want to be a good example, a shining example of what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Help us to walk in your path, to hold your hand, to make every moment part of you, so that this can be for us the truth. Amen. Let's say together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. 
Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We come now to our two readings from this morning, the first from Romans and then from Matthew. Chapter 12. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And from Matthew chapter 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. So, our story from the gospel. Render to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. The two opposite sides, the Pharisees and the Herodians, the Jewish religious um, leaders and thinkers, and the Herodians, the political party that were for uh, the local puppet dictator of the Romans. And they came together to trap Jesus. He was making life difficult for both of them. And they thought they had got him this time. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? They knew fully well the consequences of defying the Roman Empire. They had been negotiating with it for decades. The Pharisees had been making deals with Rome even as they were opposed to its rule because they just needed to do what they needed to do and so they made accommodations. The Herodians didn't oppose Roman rule but they didn't always share its political agenda either. Nevertheless, they were often in bed with Rome in order to pursue their political and economic interests. 
Hence, it was hypocrisy on the part of the two groups to suggest that Jesus explicitly commit to collaborating with or defying the empire. The choice for him and for his followers was much more complicated than that. Much more complicated than simply condoning the empire or engaging in outright sedition. And I guess Christians... Religious faith followers of all sorts have been in that position forever. So in this situation, if he answers yes to the question, he upsets those who had hoped he was going to free them from their imperial overlords. They would not trust him anymore. They wouldn't follow him. If he said no, then he had committed treason against the empire and the emperor himself. Either way, it didn't look great. Either way, it was worth getting together to get the result these two groups wanted. But as we know, Jesus never did say things or do things to please people or curry favor or keep himself safe. He often answered questions with more questions or with answers that didn't seem to actually answer the question that had been asked. He often allowed people to think for themselves, which as an aside is why I'm often suspicious of those who think they have pinned down exactly what it is that Jesus was saying. Once and for all, this is what it means. Jesus, the Godhead, chose to come to earth as a Jewish rabbi. If he'd have wanted to come to earth to tell us precisely what to believe, he'd have come as something else. Because Jewish rabbis don't pontificate. They ask questions. They tell stories. They argue and debate the meaning of the text. There is an awful lot of waving hands and shouting. It's not terribly English and probably the better for it. We had a Jewish rabbi came to theological college And he chose to talk to us about that story of the prophet, whose name always escapes me when I'm in the middle of telling the story, Uh, the the prophet who who the boys called Baldy, and then he called on bears to come and maul them. He said, people don't like my book of the my Bible, because it's horrible. We had two hours discussion on it. He never did tell us what to think. That's what Jesus was, a Jewish rabbi. And in this situation, it definitely suited him not to tell them exactly what to think. This time, too, like I say, he doesn't play their game or satisfy either side, really. He asks to see one of the coins, the special coins that you paid tax to the emperor in. I presume the the, the Romans didn't want to waste time having to change money or, or, or work out what was coming. So if you paid tax to the emperor, you paid it in the emperor's money. Made it nice and simple for the emperor. Probably not so simple for everyone else, but for the emperor. And he says, whose head is on it? The emperor's, they say. I mean, our queen is on our money, but it doesn't necessarily mean all that money belongs to her. But it did mean that in Rome. That's his money. You owe it to him. So, he says, if the emperor's head's on it, pay it to the emperor. This is. And if it belongs to God, then give it to God. Of course, behind that is something that all good Jews, as Jesus was, 
could hear loud and clear. But nobody could condemn him for because of the way he'd said it. For a Jew, giving to God what is God's means everything. To God belongs the land, the lives of God's people, and their worship. Everything. That an even awful lot for the emperor. But they were under Roman occupation, and Caesar thought that the land and the people and the lives and the worship all belonged to him alone. Israel's God is a jealous God, but Caesar the human thought the same about himself. We so often forget how counter-cultural our faith was at its beginnings. How counter-cultural our Lord Jesus was and is. Counter-cultural, not like everybody else. In the world, but not of it. Yes, we live in this world, but we're not supposed to think like everybody else, like your friends and your family and all the things that we, all of us, accommodate all the time because it's easy, because we don't want to offend people, because we don't want to upset people, because we don't want an argument over the Christmas dinner table. We read the familiar stories and we forget what was going on while they were happening. Or I think even worse, we're not told. If you trained as a preacher in the last 30 years, because I have been one for 30 years, you do get told this stuff. If you're a good preacher from before that, you'll have read some of that stuff. So why is it never coming out of the pulpit? When this stuff was written, everybody who was a Christian was in deep, deep danger all the time. Sitting in here would have been terrifying. Chatting to your friend in the street because you were both recognized as Christians would have been absolutely terrifying, dangerous. I'm not sure any of the time I have been a Christian, which is my whole life, I have felt in danger. And that does something to my faith. It makes it comfy and cozy. It makes it easy for me, to make, for me to make those accommodations with friends and family and, and everybody else because I'm not really in danger and it matters to me hugely, but it doesn't have that edge that I have to be in for my faith with everything I have because it's life or death literally. Now, I'm not talking about salvation and, and pie in the sky when we die and afterwards and all that stuff. That is also important to our faith. I'm talking about reality day to day. Some of you might have lived in places where that was the situation, but that's not been true for me, and I guess it's probably not been true for most of us here, wherever we are. Whilst this thing was happening... Whilst the story of it was being told in the early church, whilst it was being written down, it was a dangerous time, and followers of the way were in fear. Their faith and its expression could lead to death, quite literally. This story, the reason it's chosen, the reason the, the followers of the early church are hearing it and it ends up in our scriptures is because it resonates with what they're going through then. It's a story that says, Jesus did this. 
Jesus stood up, life and death, and he was clever about it. As my, uh, as my Jewish Testament uh, professor at college says, words matter. If it's in the story, it's there for a reason. Jesus was clever. We're allowed to be clever. Jesus is actually proposing that God, not the emperor, is the only one worthy of our lives and our worship. And they knew, they really knew, what danger that he was putting himself in by saying that and what they were still in themselves. Telling, sharing, and writing down this story is dangerous. Using its message as a pattern by which to live and teaching it to new converts and to your family is life-threateningly dangerous. It's treason, and treason leads to death. It mattered that much, their faith. It mattered that much that they would follow it despite all that. And they would pass it on despite all that. And that throughout the centuries, people have done the same so that we can still believe. Our Romans reading, you might find more familiar in an older version, but I really like that version from the message. It says it how it is. Thank you for that lovely reading of it, Brenda. But Romans 2 is written out of that time of fear and turmoil. It echoes the story of Jesus. It's a reminder, though, of what our lives following Jesus should be. Our everyday ordinary life. Our sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life. Offered utterly to God in all aspects, whatever else is going on in the background. And whatever trauma and fear is going on in our hearts and in the world in which we live, whether that be here when we're fearful or frightened or upset or frustrated or angry about the way in which this disease is hauling us in, in which our governments are dealing with it, not dealing with what they're asking of us, that in itself is a trauma. Or if we live with the trauma of war or violence outside our homes or injustice or wherever we are, whatever trauma there is, underneath all that, there is always some sort of everyday, ordinary life going on, to be lived. The vast majority of the time, it is life. It is ordinary, everyday life that takes much, much of our time and being. Putting on the kettle, washing our clothes, making sure we've got food in the cupboards, looking after the people we need to look after. Our ordinary, everyday life. So in these times, which may not be as dangerous for us as Christians here, let's face it, they do hold their own fears and dangers and difficult decisions and choices to make. In these times, it's good to be reminded what really matters. Giving our all, our money, our life, our work, our worship, our focus, all to God. Then there will be little left for other things to crowd God out. Filling that everyday ordinariness with God and living it to God's purpose 
leaves less time for the things that belong to Caesar. So, be counter-cultural about how you spend your money, your time, your relationships. Be counter-cultural about who you care for, who you champion, who you listen to. In this difficult time when it's so easy to go with the culture of blame, the culture of interpreting the rules to fit me and your mine, the culture of believing everything and absolutely nothing that you hear, see and read. That's the culture of the moment. But don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, in our corner of the world, it isn't easy to really feel the pain of persecution for our faith, but we know it happens. We pray for those who are persecuted and punished, violated and scarred because of their faith. We pray for those who, despite these things, speak out and speak up and witness to you, the living God. We pray for the families of those people, that they may be given strength and support in their own faith and discipleship. We pray for those who teach us of you, who unpack your truths, who explain what living a Christian life is and how to follow you. We pray for those who guide us in times of struggles with our faith, those who stand by us in times of denial and bewilderment. We pray for those who are dying in the faith and those who are struggling to find their faith before they die. For these and all your witnesses, Lord, we pray. Amen. Lord, we bring you this morning those pictures on our television screens, in our newspapers, on our computer screens, on our radios, of those around your world who need your love, who need your power, we pray too for so much more that has slipped off the interest of the newscasters. We pray for our country and its leaders. We pray that they will make wise decisions, informed decisions, that they will listen to advice and they will do what is best for all. We pray for our communities. For our families and friends, we pray for all who need to know your love, Lord, who are suffering in mind or body or spirit. Send them your love, Lord, in those who will care for them. Give them a sense of your presence and your love. And we pray for ourselves, Lord, for you know how we feel today, what is going on for us, all that matters. Lord, be with us all. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. 
And Lord, we bring before you in our minds now the money that will be put in the bag as we leave, the money that is paid straight into the bank account or checks sent to the treasurer. We thank you, Lord, for all who give generously and sacrificially of what they are able. We thank you for all that we have and are out of which we can give to you. We thank you for those who give. We thank you for those who look after our money and take care of it and use it for your kingdom here in this place. We ask that you would bless both the givers and the gifts in your name. Amen. Wherever we go, may the joy of God the gracious be with us. Wherever we go, may the face of Christ the kindly be with us. Wherever we go, may the compassing of the spirit of grace be with us. Wherever we go, the presence of the Trinity around us to bless us and keep us. Amen. Amen.